Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Hey. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the TalkCast podcast. I'm Nick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of TalkCast Film. It's always a pleasure to have people in conversation on the podcast who know each other really well. Brothers, spouses, fathers and sons, and also best friends. Which brings us to today's episode of the podcast. Talia Lugasi and Rosario Dawson first met when they were in their mid-teens, and their friendship and creative collaboration has gone from strength to strength over the past two decades plus. Dawson, of course, is a Hollywood A-list actor, as well as a producer and activist. She made her film debut in Larry Clark's seminal 1995 movie, Kids, and has been incredibly prolific since then, racking up more than 120 screen credits, everything from He Got Game, Clerks 2, and Death Proof, to Sin City, Men in Black 2, and Rent. Tally Lugasi made her debut as writer-director in 2007 with the drama-thriller Descent, a powerful, visceral exploration of the impact of sexual assault, which Dawson both starred in and produced. The two friends and collaborators have now reteamed for Lugasi's moving new film, This Is Not A War Story, a long gestating project about the lingering trauma of war and combat veterans' attempts to exercise the horrors they experience. The film, in which Lugasi herself plays one of the lead roles, was made in a unique fashion as a collaboration with veterans. And you can read a piece that Lugasi wrote for TalkHouse earlier this year about the film's authentic and impactful blending of fiction and nonfiction. Dawson and Lugasi touch on a lot in their conversation today, starting with the recent tragic death of Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust, how it affected them, and how it connects with persistent problems in both indie and studio filmmaking. They also talk about the human aspect of cinema, art as therapy, Rosario's thoughts on directing, their time as teenagers at the Lee Strasberg Institute with Scarlett Johansson and Hayden Christensen, the changing of the guard that is currently taking place in Hollywood, and the journey they have taken together, both creatively and personally. So, without further ado, I'll turn it over to Talia and Rosario. Hey, dude. What's up, dude? My little dudette. We are firing on all cylinders, as per usual. You know, when we met as teenagers, we were desperate to be this busy. Like, this was the dream. Like, this is actually what was the aspiration. Yep. I was reflecting on that today, (laughs) describing the two of us, you know, watching three movies in a row with Angelica and bouncing around the city, talking about how you're going to be producing and acting and I'm going to be writing and directing and for God's sake, let's make so many films. And we're, (laughs) we're in the thick of it right now. Our teenage selves like absolutely premeditated this moment. We are powerful manifestors indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about our shared experience in low-budget filmmaking. This has Mm -hmm. been kind of on my heart for the past week. Like, I was reflecting for a few minutes earlier on just what, you know, what I wanted to talk about with you about this film, you know, about this is not a war story, and this collaboration and others in the past. And I just found myself thinking about how we both have had so many experiences in low-budget film. Mm -hmm. And what's kind of bothering me at the moment is what happened on on the set of Rust with Helena Hutchins and and all of this, you know, a lot of negative conversation around low budget film being the reason for such circumstances. And I I find that Mm. really upsetting. 
Indeed. Really, really, really upsetting, you know? Yeah. You and I are very aware that low-budget filmmakers such as ourselves and many of our friends go way above and beyond with almost no resources at all to be as safe as we possibly can and as respectful as we possibly can. And we've also had low-budget, utter exploitative experiences as well. Yeah. And we know the difference. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So I've just, you know, all of this has been kind of, you know, moving around in, in me. And I, you know, I've, I've, I thought it would be interesting to reflect on. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot as well. I remember really just at that beginning of the inception of the idea of being in this industry when Brandon Lee died and being such a huge fan of his father's and being so excited that my generation was going to get the opportunity to witness his son be this amazing performer and entertainer and actor who was also a martial artist and just what beauty there was to that and this tragedy happening on set. And I remember, I think it was like what, middle school, high school, something. I just, it's middle school. I was leaving from my school and walked home just crying, just thinking about what happened to him. And since then, I've worked on a lot of sets where there are guns and stunts and people trying to save money and cutting corners and hurry up and wait, actually, oftentimes, yeah. but just rush, rush, rush. And I've always been a super stickler about safety because of that. Like, no, I want to see the gun. I want to see the clear chamber. I want to see the other guns, peep clear chambers. Like, no, you're not going to convince me. I remember how much that meant to me that Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's child, for no good reason, completely nonsensical, just is not here with us because of an accident on set. And it's just, you know, I have literal scars on my body from multiple times doing indie and big budget projects with stunt people and non-stunt people alike. And, you know, what was written on the page was not actually what happened on set because people get, you know, people are human. Adrenaline happens. People are tired because we got to the scene late. People are going through things emotionally in their personal lives and kind of bring too much aggression to the moment that needs to, and they're not being completely present and focused, like all kinds of reasons as to why things go down so terribly oftentimes. And it's why I've been, you know, really talking to everyone on our, the current crew that I'm working with and been supportive of the IFC protest and potential strike and everything. Cause I'm like, I know. I've gone there and been on set and we've worked 15 and 16 hour days and talking to extras and other people going, I'm tired and worried about the drive home. And I think that we're in a really critical moment of talking about what we love to do and how it shouldn't sacrifice our mental, emotional, and physical health. Absolutely. Like that, that actually doesn't need to happen. And, and that, you know, when we first started, a lot of the people that we loved and admired, and we would talk about like, oh my God, you know, this director, and he would ask for 60 takes and would scream at his actors. And like, was, you know, like that's what we were taught, especially because it was a very male-dominated industry. And this is what we were told was the painstaking process of brilliant filmmaking and that you just had to accept that norms of everything from the rushing and safety to just absolute full-on abuse of crew and cast for the sake of art, you know, was like what to be expected. And we would talk about that when we were like wanting to do this and figuring out how we were and why we were 
the people to kind of usher in a new version and era and experience within this industry that we so loved because we questioned it all the time. Like, is that what, is that brilliance that you have to be a jerk and you have to be an asshole and you have to be disrespectful and you have to be violent and abusive and horrible. And, you know, you have to, is it, you know, at the end of the day, so important to get this shot that you just completely throw out all sense and humanity for the sake of art, you know, and it was just not something that we ever took for granted as we were moving forward and trying to be a part of this industry that had a very different way of doing things than we ultimately had wanted to create and do. And so I think there's a, a real change of guard that is happening right now. And there's an important call out that's going everything from times up to this moment right now, where we're looking at true safety and responsibility on set and where does the buck start and the response, you know, the, the accountability stop with. And I think it's important to do, there needs to be a, a reevaluation of the entire process. That is important. Exactly. And that's kind of the premise of undertaking. This is not a war story. That was the spirit of it, right? It was this idea that like, you know, okay, we understand from the word go that we have very little resources to work with. But we all operate with this conviction that that does not mean that any of those things that you're describing get sacrificed. Mm -hmm. You know, what it means is that we figure out a way, and we did this, to work as a collective, to sit down as the director and the DP and the production designer and the team and say, this is our schedule. This is what we're agreeing to. We're going to spread out over eight months. We're going to have 10 to 12 hour days and at hour 12, we're going to stop. Whoa, there's a fucking idea. You know, it's, it's not as if like, it's hard to do. It's just, the problem is like, you can put your resources in any, which direction you want, as long as you know what you have to manage. And the thing was that we started the process by saying, we don't want these bone crushing long days. We don't want this kind of ridiculous overkill of just the crazy hours of work and all of the things that just make it so hard to function creatively, which is, we're just thinking, must it be done this way? No. Well, especially when that's the story we're telling within the film. Mm. Yeah. I can't even, I could tell you, but there's, you know, I, again, it's, it, it puts you in that weird position. Like, you know, you just always putting everyone on blast and, and, you know, whatever in the moment I was like, no, I'm going to buy food and snacks for the extras. And I'm going to demand that they get water and breaks and, you know, shade because we're shooting in 115 degrees yeah, and it's nice that you run over with an umbrella for me, but like what's going on over here and other moments, putting pressure or complaining or doing whatever to the higher ups on projects that specifically were about workers' rights and striking. And like, when, I mean, I can, it's, it's unbelievable <laughs> at the times where I remember I've, I've brought it up to certain cast members and stuff and they're like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like how is this escaping anyone's attention right now and you know it's a morbid laughter that i have about it but it's 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 infuriating and i know it's again one of the reasons why i love working with you because we get that and like and we have those moments you know there's definitely been moments where it's been tough you know like on descent where i'm sitting there and doing the scene and we have to get out of this location and i'm supposed to be being date raped in the scene and the actor is freaking out because he's getting so emotional about it and i'm having to and i'm thinking to myself oh my god i'm consoling my rapist right now because i have to put my producer hat on and we'd only have this location for this many hours and we need to move on so i'm just like th- that was actually my saving grace for my mental and emotional health to be able to just be like we've got to be professional here so that we can get this done and kind of move on but 
the level of communication and conversation that we put into this work that we are so passionate about is not always so visible in my personal experience. And a lot of that's small budget or larger. Yeah. You know, I mean, from the very first project that I was in, the majority of us were exploited. You know, I got, I got paid a thousand dollars to work on kids, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, and I've been, I've been thinking about that with, with respect to everything we've been talking about. And it's just that whole experience is like, it, you could point to that and say, well, that was a, a thing where everybody was invested and they cared about it. And that's why they wanted to work on it. And, but that's not a reason to exploit people mm-hmm. It's because there's a personal connection. That's not, that doesn't justify it. And at the time it wasn't, it wasn't perceived that way. And as time has gone by, it, it, obviously we can, you know, you can reflect on the experience that you had. We can perceive it for what it was. Right. Yeah. And here we are with, with, you know, a uh, war story and we're like, okay, well, we're the team, we're the, we're the team making the film and all of us are participating. All of us have points. All of us are on the table. All of us technically are producers to some degree. And we are, you know, mm-hmm. DP production designer, associate producer, second AC is an associate producer. You, you know what I mean? Like we're all literally in this together in the sense of actually making decisions. So the whole hierarchy is a different, it's a different paradigm. Well, including again, the cast though, right? Because you are working with veterans that you have been speaking with and creating this project with over years before the first action was called. Yeah. And respecting their input and their energy and their storytelling process and their humanity and the fact that you are borrowing their experience to share with the greater world and like actually being invested in that, not just for the like, thank you so much. I wrote this down. This is going to be titillating, you know, but literally for, to make sure that they really feel good about the process beginning, middle and end. Yes. And that's doesn't always feel like the full consideration. I can feel like I've had moments on a lot of these projects. Absolutely. That's why I've continued in this industry where I felt respected or cared about or loved but that's not always true for the entirety of the project. Like that's something I distill from, from the entirety at the end of it and go, okay, I'll make do with that. But it's not necessarily true for all of it, for the amount of projects that I've been on where like what was expected of me. And then I was getting paid scale while the other actors that I was working with were getting millions, if not, you know, less or somewhere in between, Yeah, you know, and like going, I don't know that this really works out exactly, but yeah, that exact payoff that you say, well, at the end, I get the experience, I get the notch on my resume, you know, I get the, you know, the audience gets to see me in this certain way and I get to build something for a career ultimately, but that's not necessarily true for everybody. Like the veterans that we're working with are not expecting for this necessarily to turn around and then to continue doing this work. So this might be their only experience ever on a set. And we don't want to completely sour them to that experience. And that's not necessarily been someone, the producers or the other people I've worked with's idea for me. It's like, if she sours after this, that's on her. (laughs) To me, it couldn't be done any other way. I couldn't conceive of what that would look like. This, This particular story with these particular collaborators had to be done this way. You don't embark on that film without taking all of those people, if you're bringing them in to be your collaborators to saying, yes, I want to go on this very long road with you. And this is about your personal experience. And we are 
deliberately making a hybrid and this is an experiment and we're going to make this work, that means it has to have value for each of you, not for what it might do later, not for what it might be politically, not for any of those other reasons, but that here's this thing where you can, if we can find a way to be part of it together, your story is in it the way you want it. And this goes for every person involved. You know, when we're Mm -hmm. speaking about collaboration with non-actors, with veterans, with people who are, you know, like not looking ahead at some career consequence. And likewise with the crew, it wasn't about that either. But the idea is that like it couldn't have been done any other way. And it was not just pulling random anecdotes or lines or things like that and then just being peace out. You know, it was it was getting to know them well enough to figure out how this constellation is going to come together. Mm -hmm. And I did it, you know, like it does actually work and it takes an enormous amount of time. And that's fine. (laughs) It's totally, you know that's not the part that requires money. You don't have, you you know what I mean? You don't have to have a big budget to care. You don't have to have a big budget to have mutual respect. You don't have to have a big budget to make sure that everybody is safe and that we're not tired and exhausted and and disgruntled. And, you know, all of those things are not financially dependent, you know, Mm -hmm. take a long, hard look at the resources you do have and you figure it out. And there are times when you should say, okay, actually, I don't think we can do this with the resources we have. And that should be a legit response to taking a long, hard look at what, what you have here. Yeah. What you're working with. Yeah. Cause I, I feel, you know, I'm definitely feel like I'm giving out very cynical things and no, no, no. sort of my expressions of things. Cause I, no, you know, no, I wouldn't no. have, I wouldn't have stayed in this industry as long as I had, if I hadn't had enough of those experiences as well, even on the ones that were difficult where like, I still felt seen and heard and like there was opportunity. And I feel so grateful for that, you know, like the, you know, I've, I've, I've directed a couple of readings and things like that here and there, but I remember directing my little short boundless and, you know, just being like, Oh, directing is about emotional intelligence. <laughs> like it's about being able to take like all the alarm, like everyone is sort of like these alarms that come to you. Like this truck didn't show up the this location fell through the, dresses not working, like whatever it is and having these different crew members come to you with their shoulders by their ears, freaking out about like how to handle this crisis and the short window of time that we actually have to shoot this thing during the actual production part, not the pre, which is brilliant. And if you can spend as much time on that as possible, please do. And you know, but when you get to post and you realize, Oh my God, I didn't get anything that I needed. (laughs) because I didn't do enough pre and I didn't like, you know, take advantage of my production time. Like just be able to sit there and go, I know what to say to you right now so that we can, I can get those shoulders back down from your ears and set you back off doing your brilliant work and not micromanage you and let you do what you are an expert at so that we can have what we need and we can make our day and the times that we have and be able to go, okay, so if things are happening because of rain and things that you can't deal with, that we still make it through and figure it out. And like you do it not by screaming at people and attacking people, but like communicating and looking them in the eye and reasoning and figuring it out and going, we got this, you know? And like, it's the greatest directors that I've worked with have been able to do that so well. And that's what I've learned from. And that was what was so brilliant about that tiny little experience that I had over one weekend. And of course I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, if I could do it again, I would do it completely differently (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Not completely because there were things I really loved about it. But the thing that I loved so much was finally using all my faculties, Mm. all the things that I've learned in the breadth of work that I've done over all these years. And it not just be for anecdotes for an interview, 
but actually be exercised in the moment when these crises came up and go, I know what to say and do right now. This isn't ideal, but I know what to say and do right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, as soon as I, as soon as I communicate that to you and give you back that confidence that you've just lost as you like, look at me with like alarm in your eyes and we go, okay, we got this and we move on. And it's just the most brilliant, brilliant experience. And I, I look forward to do it again. And it's, I've always been so amazed that something that you knew you wanted to do at such an early age, you walked into the DGA at 10 and was like, I'm ready. And like, That's so cute. That's so cute. Little girl, <laughs> go to acting class. And thank God they said that because <laughs> then we met you 15, me 16 with kids in the theaters and you in a Stanley Kubrick t-shirt, just like <laughs> so serious <laughs> and grave and me just like wide-eyed and excited and just like you know so new to the whole process and and to see you know that was one of the things that really made me know that this was something I wanted to continue pursuing Mm -hmm. was meeting you and your passion for it that had come from such a clear age you know like I had this experience and I was now seeing it and seeing myself and going marveling at like, Oh, I think I'm good at this. Like, I think I've discovered something that's really kind of cool. And maybe I want to keep doing this, but I didn't have anybody in my family or my world that was doing it. And you were the exact opposite of that. Like this wasn't, you were clear, you had been clear and you know, your invitation to really taking it very seriously as like a life's work, a, a life's purpose was something that really helped to finesse and specify my direction. That is awesome. I can say for sure. Hell yeah. I never fully had that picture. That is beautiful. If it had to be from the rest of the people there, I wasn't getting that. Like I was really <laughs> weirded out by the idea that there were all these young actors who were like, I think I'm so cute and like entertaining and amazing. <laughs> and I just want to do this all the time. And like, I was very overwhelmed by everybody. That's why I wasn't talking to anybody. <laughs> knowing theater and plays and stores and like, yeah, I felt really out of sorts and like not educated enough and like not clear enough, but you were, you made it really clear that when you love something, no matter what that is, you just learn and you study and you deep dive and you imagine Hmm. and you create. And that was how I saw it. And that made a lot of sense to me. Nice. And it took it away from just the idea of being this sort of, not saying the people that we were working with, that wasn't that it was just, but it was an alarming kind of experience of like these young sort of precocious actors. It was, it was a little very unnerving from where I came from. Um, But just that idea of purpose and meeting passion and the, the, the power of storytelling. And from the community that I grew up in, the storytelling that was in kids that talked about everything from latchkey kids to HIV and AIDS and rape was like, whoa, we can tell stories like this. Like that excited me and moved me. And that was what you always wanted to do. And it's been so brilliant being your partner over these years and seeing how you've really explored what that could look like in the different projects you've created over these years. Yeah. I mean, I, it's so uncanny because I was, I don't know if I fully expressed this out loud ever before, but I I was reflecting on it earlier and it's exactly along these lines. It's that when I had that first, it was literally the first day of that experience, Strasbourg, because I had entered the situation, as you said, like, I'm going to be a director. This is all just, I need to learn stuff. And 
<laughs> but as I was participating, I was completely, my mind was blown. I was like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And this is something I have a wildly deep connection to. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this information yet, but I know that like, this is amazing what's happening. And I, and I, I really mm-hmm. took acting very seriously from that moment forward. But too. you said something in your description earlier about directing where you said it allowed me to use all of my faculties. And so this ultimately was the thing where it was like, yes, I enjoy acting. I love the shit out of it and I'm pretty good at it. However, mm-hmm. I cannot use all of my faculties. And I thought, see, directing is that thing that I need. That's all of the things. And that was my, <laughs> my just, you know, that's the drive. Like it, it was, it would be unthinkable to me to be able to, to not have that degree of creative autonomy to tell the story. Which story are we telling? Who are all the humans involved and how are they behaving and what's the dialogue and what's the, you know, it was, it's that level of, you know, I'm so I was so stoked that you had that that opportunity to dive in and have that experience, and then to hear you reflecting on all of the the alarms close up and the alarms far away. <laughs> Which one do we? It's of course that's what it is. It's a constant, you know, just navigating crises. Which mm-hmm. I, I've oh my god, I you know like you're this smooth sailing, you know, kind of level headed. I have I can just picture all of that, and it's just so brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> And that's always so cool. Like, I think I, I, I approached that experience through your eyes because you were, you know, I, I had done this film and my grandmother could afford one semester. And that was the one semester that we met at. And I never got to take any other acting classes after that because if that's all we could afford. But I learned so much and we met so many amazing people. Scarlett was there. Hayden was there. I mean, there was like such like, it's incredible to think about what that moment was and where we are now. Yeah, totally. But, you know, and I, I'll never forget the the activity of writing monologues and performing monologues, which was incredible. And, you know, feel a drop on your head and then let it go and really feel it go down. I mean, it was just so bizarre and unusual and fun. But again, I don't know that I would have really appreciated the experience had I not been something that I was seeing through your eyes as this young person who was there, who was only doing it because she was biding her time to be a director. (laughs) I'm only here because they didn't accept me at the DGA and just being like, huh? Like there was just, you brought levels to it in a different way. And I could appreciate then seeing even the teachers that we had who were also actors who wanted to be performing. And like, there was just so much, there was, it was so many levels to it that I just found so powerful and I think I've just kept that with me. My, this, I'm, I, one of my favorite things is spending time and talking with the crew and like, why are you doing this? Like not taking it for granted why people are and where they are. This industry isn't a place that I feel like people are in just because they need a job. No. <laughs> you don't, you don't do this if you just need a job. You know, this is something you do because there's true passion and there's a calling behind it. You know, and I'm so grateful to have had that experience so early on because I know so many people who've had moments in this industry and then dipped out didn't necessarily get that. And that's what tethered me. Yeah. So I'm curious for you, like, as that journey kept going, you know, you graduate high school early, you're in college, you're doing sight and sound films. I'm using short ends from Men in Black 2 for your... (laughs) My thesis for your thesis film, you know, and you're starting your projects and you've had some big windows between 
your projects. You know, you're very, very deliberate about what you make. It's you, you want to be in this industry, but that doesn't mean you're just going to keep churning out whatever until you figure out your voice or whatever. That's not been your journey. No, no. And, and, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine undertaking a film without the level of passion that we're talking about, but to the degree that like, I know that this is a four to five year situation mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am not going to give four or five years of my life to a paycheck, to something that I cannot get my whole self behind. Cause I can't function that way. I, for the few times that I've tried, I, I can't keep food down. I can't function. I don't sleep. It doesn't work for me. So mm-hmm. like, I'm fine with, you know, like if you look at, uh, you know, um, there's different, everybody does it differently. You know, you've got people making a movie a year and then you've got Kubrick time where you just make 12 in a lifetime and it's fine. I'm fine with that. You know, Malik mm-hmm. is even more infrequent. I think you just, you have to kind of operate on your own time. And that's, that's one of the things I realized was like, I, I'm already embarking on something that like, isn't necessarily going to be sanctioned by a studio system. I'm not going out of my way to learn how to paint by numbers, a screenplay. I'm not going out of my way to shoot standard coverage. I'm not interested in those things. I wouldn't want to make a film like that, you know? So it, it, it really just meant for me that I had to accept certain things, which is, you know, being maybe on the fringes of whatever this, you know, independent film industry is or becoming, and just kind of finding a way to function within it where I can just keep creative autonomy. That's the most important thing to me. If you don't have that, you can't really, you know, the vision gets compromised like you and I embarking on descent. It's like, if we had taken those script notes early on, what a disaster that film would have been. If we mm-hmm. had taken the money, which was more money. And then, you know, but of course she calls the police after she gets raped. It's like, no, fuck you. That's not the film we're making. Excuse me. Yes. There's 20 pages in the middle where she doesn't say a fucking thing because she's silent because that's the experience. No, she's not going to talk to her friend about her feelings. Like, I'm not going to put these horrible scenes into a movie. So, you know, I I just accepted from day one that this was going to be a fight. It's it's in my nature to, to be contrarian in that way, I guess. But I really also just recognized after Descent that I wasn't really, in terms of emotional intelligence, functioning all that well. I wasn't able to really take care of myself all those years of just having blinders on was like fine for getting a film done, but it wasn't necessarily fine for being a human in the world. And I was looking at fractured friendships. I was looking at broken relationships. I was looking at being very alienated. I'm thinking something is not right here. This is wrong. So I'm not going to just go, oh, well, and just like make another film. I'm going to unfuck this as best I can, for lack of a better term. And I spent the time that I needed to spend to reckon with that. And And that's all that's done is just build things in the way that they needed to be built so that I could be capable of making a film like the one we just made where collaboration was the key to the whole damn thing. It's like that level of presence to another person isn't possible unless you're that present to yourself and you've reckoned with your dark shit as best you can. And you've accepted certain things about yourself and that's time and work and energy that, that is required. So I had to start over and, and really kind of deal with a lot of demons from trauma that were just grinding all of my wheels to a halt. But by virtue of doing that, it led me to not just the content, but to the process itself of this movie. You know, this is not a war story. It's like a huge reflection of that. And, you know, that reflection on trauma and all of that has been a part of a lot of your work from the very beginning. And just sort of like really looking out at the world and like what our place and how our place is in it. And that's been so interesting because that's been so much of the opposite experience that I've had because I've just been going and going and going Mm. because you know, I was taking care of so many people and I came from 
you know, really traumatic kind of background. And so like the work itself and the escape was such a huge therapy for me. And I learned so much in that up and down. And we've been so communicative throughout all of that entire process. But we also like, that was a big thing when we were doing descent of like going, whoa, like this was really, really intense for us. And, you know, I know we've both been so grateful that we made it through that, like individually and together. Yes. You know, and that this journey and process for our mental and emotional health has been something we've reflected on often in our conversation and in our friendship for a lot of years and our very different ways of processing it. And, you know, and just having the pressure in different ways that we felt of how to actualize what that would look like in our lives. And it's always so interesting, as different as our lives are, how we keep coming back to the same place. And I think that was definitely a draw for wanting to go down and explore that journey with you on descent. And it was definitely, you know, one of the things that I was so excited about realizing that childhood dream of ours, except you being the actress (laughs) and the writer and director and me just being the producer uh, (laughs) are one of them on this latest project. But again, exploring really important and potent subject matter that is very prescient and necessary to think about and to experience. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of Talk House is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. It's so interesting. You think about like art as a form of therapy in the creating of it and in the watching of it. I mean, we are as human beings so moved by story and it's been really powerful seeing like, cause a lot of the stuff that we first bonded on very violent things, yes. you know, and a lot of, you know, we were, we were in the dawn of like a very powerful moment of independent filmmakers, mostly all male, you know, and with a very, you know, married storytelling, but still in a very particular kind of space. There was a very aggressive, very masculine, very like, you know, and that's where we were first starting to bubble up and thrive. 
and kind of imagine ourselves like what would that look like and we would look you know i remember discovering the cassavetes award of the independent film festival and being like oh my god that's going to be us for someday you know what i mean but like (laughs) but also trying to imagine how as as much as we appreciated and understood and studied and like loved that work we also knew that that wasn't what we wanted to make yes not in that way not in that way exactly you know right and so that, but that was the norm that was what was beloved that was what was cherished that was what it was awarded that was what was funded yep and like how are we going to make our way in that space and so another part of that for me not only just with my activism, because I've spoken about that, like always wanting to stay in some way, quote unquote, relevant so that I could have my voice be something of significance and the things that I actually really cared about to be heard. So staying working because it took care of the bills, but it also put me in a position that could have some kind of leverage, not again, just only with my activism, but also with us, you know, and as a producer and being able to have a voice that could be you know, supported and amplified and like what that could look like, especially on those years as you would take a back burner to take care of what you needed, you know, feeling kind of like, well, as your partner, I got to make sure that when you're ready, we're ready, you know, and keeping things going. Well, you sure did. I mean, that's, it's, it's been a hell of a run. I mean, it's just one, one project after another, one experience after another. But we still, again, very much having a synchronicity in that, right? Because I always completely was like, yo, I know what you're talking about. Yo, this burnout is for real. And, you know, this world, you're not, you're not reacting to it because you're sensitive. It's because it really is that fucked up. And what do we do? How do we do? What is our way out and through? Yeah. Sometimes it's a matter of like looking at least knowing the things we don't want to do and the ways that we don't want to behave. It's just like a lot of ruling things out. Okay. You know, like getting to a point where we can make this film and say, okay, there's no fucking way we're doing like 14 hour, 16 hour days. Fuck all that shit. Like that's off the mm-hmm. table. So like, okay, how do we structure a film then we can do that. Okay. And, and just coming up with all of the different, you know, logistical ways to realize this, the fact that you can make a film with, with compassion in the driver's seat and still make the damn thing mm-hmm. the way that you need to make it. You know, we, we, we just put our heads together and put our resources together and took the time that it required to do that and had the patience for it. And not necessarily knowing like what that collective is going to look like, but just knowing that like, it's going to be built on the things that we already know we don't want to have in this experience. I mean, it seems to work extremely well. And the thing is that I think it's given us a framework now that we can use going forward to then say, this is how a collective making a film is possible. It's a, here's a, here's a worker co-op format for a film collective. Here's how we can do it together. You know, and let's just keep on building that and improving upon it. Even when it was so difficult and so dark, it was still just pure fun. You know, it was just yeah. the, the, the absolute thrill of, of being in that creative state and knowing that everybody who was present there that day was, was all on the same page, all making the same film, all there because their heart was in it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I looked for a DP for over a year. I was like, I know exactly what I'm trying to find. And I waited, you know? Mm-hmm. And then and Ryan comes on board with exactly the temperament and the spirit and the devotion to this particular subject. He's not doing it as a favor to me. He's not doing it for to get another job doing something else. It's like this this thing, this thing we're making right now. 
And you can count on somebody's integrity in their work if they're invested in it for themselves, for their, for reasons on behalf of their own heart, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know that it's something we would have been able to do at 22 or whatever. You know, it just you, it takes time to know oneself and human beings well enough to be able to navigate something like that, you know? And that's why it's so fascinating because it still is a film with the same sort of operation as any other film gets made, but it's not made in the same way with the expectations and the push and the like business aspect that is, that just sort of flattens all the passion and the beauty of it for the sake of payback and money and all of these different things that just completely twist it from its beauty. I think. And it's so interesting being a part of, I've, and I've, again, I've been a part of so many small and big stuff and that that's not always sacrificed. And I've seen that many, many times and people who have gotten power to be able to keep that experience and journey intact for everyone, even with those outside pressures and like still be able to get through it. But like, you know, it's challenging and it's really difficult. And you know, it's, it's really sad to see people be soured from the experience because they've made a project and been disenchanted with the process because of outside forces kind of coming in and corrupting the whole thing. And I think that's definitely something when you go back to like a Kubrick or whatever, and you realize like how long he would take on his projects. And, you know, it's not about like necessarily making someone do 80 takes of something, but like, it's, it is the idea though, of going like this project is done when it is done. Yes. And it's not going to be on any sort of outside timeline that has nothing to do with art because art exists out of time in that way. Like it just does. It does. And getting it right and getting it to be what it is. I mean, you're, you're gestating a being, you know, that then is going to live out in the world. I remember we would talk about that, like how, we were birthing these projects. And then after a certain point, once they were done, that was it. We had to just like watch our kid get up and walk around and bump into things and people yes. like complain yes, <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? like, and criticize and throw opinions. And it's like, whoa, that's different. Our poor first child. It was a different thing when it was in our womb, but now it's like <laughs> out there in the world and people are commenting about it. And, you know, we made that decision very early on. You don't apologize for your kid. You just don't, you don't like go back and do it. You know, you just don't do that. That's your kid, you know, and you're proud of it. And, you know, it's going to be in the world, how it's going to be. And that's not for me to say or judge or try to control. And I think that's a really interesting thing. And maybe I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a very masculine thing, but it, it, the, the idea of the control in that way mm. is, is a very fascinating concept And I think when we get into that, that's, that is where mistakes happen sometimes Yes, because who does take responsibility, who is accountable. And, you know, and when you're pushing to have this sort of control over so many beings that are offering their talents and their expertise and their time and their energy, like, what does that end up coming up with in the end? If control is the ultimate, not the story and the art. What are we losing in that? Yeah, that force is it's a huge, huge, huge force, I think, in everything we're talking about here. I mean, even just, you know, how cavalier one can be with anything like weapons on a set. That's a matter of like, yeah, I'm in control. It's, it's, a, it's a cavalier move to not, impl- not use safety protocols that are standardized, that don't cost you anything. 
that assertion, you know, is like, is, and I experienced it, you know, personally, certainly with dissent, that's one of the things I was wrestling with the most was like, I just looked up to dudes. That's all I had. I don't, I just, that's what I thought you did. And I thought the strength had some equivalency with owning as much of the masculine side of myself as I could find. And all that ended up amounting to was control, control, control until there was nobody left around me, you know, mm-hmm. it was just like, wow, this is not who I am. But how did I get here? Whereas the more that I've kind of integrated all the different as best I can sides of who I am and reckoned with a lot of this shit, I'm, I'm gravitating towards a space that doesn't feel even remotely like that desire to constantly control and to push and to, you know, all of those things. It's a much more, I think for lack of a better term, a much more feminine feeling about the process. And of course the realization that one doesn't need to control and that the better product actually comes out without that is the only thing that invites collaboration into the room. Mm-hmm. You can't have it otherwise. Otherwise you're, you're pretending to collaborate, but you're not really doing it if you're just controlling everything. And it's, it's strange because film does have a very rigid hierarchy. And I do think that on the one hand, you need to have one person who's explicitly responsible. You do need to have one person whose vision is kind of helping to guide everybody to the North Star. Right? We, have, we have to have a compass. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that it's a dictatorship. There's a difference. <laughs> so being responsible is quite another matter from what we see a lot of the time, which is just this, as you're describing, exactly this constant need to push and control everything. And it's just, it does squashes, it squashes the creativity and it squashes, I think the the energy that you need to do work like this. I don't know how you'd find it otherwise. Anyway, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's suffocating. Yeah. But, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I breathe deep on our sets and, watching our projects once, you know, as they develop and come to life, you know, and it's something I'm, I'm really grateful for people to, to have in their lives and touch them, you know, as, and if, and so they choose. And it's a beautiful dance, you know, and yeah, you're a great dance partner. Hey man, you're the best one <laughs> I could ever imagine <laughs> or invent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to those two excellent dance partners, Rosario Dawson and Talia Lugasi, for being on the TalkHouse podcast. And thanks to you for listening. This Is Not A War Story is now playing in select theatres and streaming on HBO Max. Go seek it out. This episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan and the TalkHouse podcast theme music, as ever, was composed and performed by The Rage. For more filmmakers talking film and TV, visit TalkHouse.com and go check out a number of pieces that Talia has written for this site. Subscribe to the TalkCast podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you got your podcasts, and go dig into our archive. I'm Nick Dawson, and until next time, take it easy and stay safe.